Well, good morning this morning and a very warm welcome to St Swithin's. This morning we're thinking about the theme of serving. Every generation wants their own needs to be served. But there are some verses in the Bible that are really important to me and I also believe are important in this season for us as St Swithin's and in Bath. And they're found in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7. As God speaks to his people through the prophet Jeremiah while they're in exile. Pray to the Lord for the peace and the prosperity of the city. At this great time of crisis, there'll be many prophets of doom speaking death and destruction over our nation and over this city. And over the next decade, there's going to be a massive rebuilding project in our city. But this call to pray God's blessing, to bring God's peace and to pray prosperity on the city of Bath is really urgent as we seek and see his resurrection life come to the city, not just for the few, but for all, so God's kingdom would come. So that's where we're starting this morning. A few of us have started by simply praying round this amazing parish that we're called to serve. That God would open doors for us to serve. Lord, bless the students at Bath Spa University. Lord, bless the influential with your kingdom wisdom. Lord, bless this city that everyone thrives. Lord, here in this part of the city, we pray, please, that it may have your heart, your love, your care, your compassion. Lord, prosper the work of this city's hands. Lord God, please prosper the creative life of the city of Bath. Lord, bless all those who visit our city. Lord, peace to the St Andrew's School community. Lord, may every generation flourish into life. Lord, bless these communities into your kingdom life. Lord, prosper the businesses in this city. Lord, bring your peace to this beautiful oasis in Walcott. Lord, Bless No Hill with peace and prosperity. Lord, peace to the Hedgemead community. Lord, bless us to be a blessing. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's pray. Father, please show each of us what you want us to do next, and by your Spirit empower us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage Mark 10 comes after Jesus has prophesied clearly to his disciples exactly what's going to happen in his ministry. The, his ministry is coming to the boil. He will be giving his life a ransom for many. And two of his closest disciples, James and John, come with a request, a prayer. They want to sit on his left and his right in his glory. They probably mean 
in heaven, sitting down, job done. Ministry involves service. It's what the word means. The prime minister is the first servant. But Jesus thinks of his glory in terms of the crucifixion. Verse 38, the cup and the baptism. And in John 13 and in John 21, when he's telling Peter by what manner of death Peter will glorify God. James and John are then asked, can they follow that example? They say, yes. But Jesus' answer to their specific prayer is no. But it is yes to their ministry. And he prophesies that they will share his cup, by which I think he means the cross. From Luke 22, the cup of the new covenant, and from the prayers in Gethsemane about the cup passing from him. But with it comes the baptism, the anointing, the power to carry out the service that God has laid upon him. So he tells James and John that yes, they will. And we see that prophecy fulfilled in the New Testament. James is courageous, spirit-filled preacher, healer, early church leader, and eventually a martyr, quite soon in Acts. John, preaching, gospel composition, prophecy, teaching, pastoring, wisdom writing, right into his old age. There doesn't seem to be any retirement in the kingdom of God dynamic. They asked for rest and recognition and they were promised work and power. And the other ten were indignant. I think people these days are also sometimes indignant at uh, what they think of other people's ministries. Uh, seeking status in church, wanting to feel uh, or to be seen to be important can lead others to being indignant and can lead to divisions and all sorts of wastes of time and effort and energy. Jesus rebuked them, but he took the opportunity to teach them all, not just James and John, when he said, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. So we serve God by serving each other and by serving the many for whom Jesus said, that his ransom, his life, would be given. Now, is that all of us in different ways, or is it the church as a whole? Looking at the Jeremiah 29 passage, which Tim has mentioned, where we're told to seek the peace and prosperity of the city of Babylon and pray for it, uh, it's to the people as a whole, the exiles, those who've survived the horrendous siege of Jerusalem, the war, the invasion, the loss, death, starvation, the most appalling circumstances at the hands of the Babylonians. And then, in the same passage, God says that he has carried them into Babylon. And they have a task of listening to him. All this has happened because they weren't listening. Listening to him and praying for peace and prosperity for their enemies, the people who've just put them through the most horrendous loss and suffering. Jesus himself says, love 
your enemy. Well, it can't be everybody. We can't surely be expected to, to serve everybody, can we? What about the Victorian notion of the deserving and undeserving poor, parodied beautifully by Shaw in uh, Pygmalion, or My Fair Lady, if you prefer it? Surely there are some we don't have to serve. Uh, they don't, they're not going to listen. They don't look promising. But it does seem that Jesus said that he gave his life for many, and I don't think we can really decide in advance whether one lot is deserving or undeserving. Hebrews 4 says that when Jesus came into the world, he said, here I am, I have come to do your will, O God. So the question really is, what is God's will for me and for you, for all of us, individually, in terms of ministry? There are many different roles, many different empowerments, we don't have to do everything, we don't have to do it alone, and we don't have to do the same thing as everybody else. After I became a Christian, when I was about 16 to 18, the conventional wisdom about what to do with your life, once you've offered it to God, was expressed more in talking than listening probably, but at least expressed in the following terms. An order of merit, missionary, ordination, teacher, or join the army. I've no idea why we were thought to join the army. I wanted to be a solicitor, and I said, I want to be a solicitor, I want to help people with their difficulties. The chap I was talking to said, oh well, I suppose God needs lawyers too. Leaving aside whether or not you could really say that the Creator needs anybody or anything, he does seem to have chosen to call us, and to call us sometimes for different things. And so, at some stage, I got to the point of asking God whether he wanted me to go for ordination. I went to the DDO. Uh, the chap there seemed to think, well, yes, I think you've got a calling. But I got God's answer, which was different, on the way to work. Driving to Radstock, bottom of Dunkerton Hill, I felt absolutely compelled to pull into a lay-by, stop the car, get out my Bible, and it opened and I saw one verse, and one verse only, in Hebrews 5. No one takes this honour, priesthood, upon himself. He must be called by God. Well, I thought that's pretty clear. That sounds like a no. But there's sure to be something else. And later that day, I was offered a partnership in the firm I was working for. So that's call, guidance. Clergy used to describe themselves in legal documents as, say, John Smith, clerk in holy orders, expressing his faith in Christ as Bishop of Bath and Wells. So, what he is and how he's expressing his faith. And so the question for each of us today really is, how is God wanting us to express that faith in terms of service to others? and I'm thinking today about outside the church, and I'm not thinking today about our general obligation to love each other and to care for each other and to help each other and to sustain and encourage all the things that happen within the church. That's a, a different day and a different speaker you'll be glad to hear. This is not meant to be exhaustive, although it might be exhausting. So following Jesus' example with the cup and the baptism, the ministry and the anointing, we might have um, what we might call birth assets, talents. We might have life assets, 
experience, training, funds we may have or need, spiritual assets, gifts, training, support. And there's a health warning too that things can change while we're in the middle and think we've just got comfy in a ministry. When I retired, one of the things that I thought about was what to do with the body, the mind and the spirit, that they be sustained and be useful. And one of the things I thought that I ought to be doing at one stage was to be a volunteer in the chaplaincy at the hospital, hoping to bring love, even the word of God, to people there, some of whom might be Christian, but a lot are not, and to be a channel of his peace and love and hope and faith, and to show his love in practical ways. But I can't do that now. I had a call from the chaplain. David, how old are you? 70. Don't come in. You can't come in. And so we've thought about prayer and listening and the call, recognition of that call, anointing. What we haven't talked about is fussing about somebody else's ministry. And we can do that sometimes. And it's not good. John 21 again. When Jesus was talking to Peter after his renewal and his calling to uh, feed Jesus' sheep, Peter says, what about him? And points to John. And Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. So this is a matter for our own walk with God to decide what it is and how to do it. Tim's asked me to give um, some specific examples of chaplaincy, somehow being a channel of God's peace and healing and faith and hope. And this is one from the IUH. Uh, a psychiatrist asked me a little while ago to see a mental health patient of his who was in the main hospital admitted under a mental health act section having tried to kill himself in despair, very depressed, very ill, silent, unresponsive, traumatised, being treated for injuries and under constant observation in a side ward. So I prayed, wouldn't you? I found him, lying, unmoving, awake, staring away, silent. I introduced myself, could I read a psalm? One finger twitched a little. I read one, could I pray? A little twitch. I prayed, I gave him a Bible, I spoke a little, he didn't say anything. I went back next day, I read the Bible again to him, again I talked, he was still under constant obs by a different nurse, who joined in actually, and I prayed, and suddenly he sat up, violently, and he interrupted the prayer with a strong angry prayer of confession about himself in the third person describing himself as a terrible sinner but he had no hope i think he might have had a faith at one time but he'd certainly lost it if he had normally i wouldn't use one or two words when a couple of thousand would easily do but on this occasion i said just two things i said but repentant. And he didn't disagree with that. We talked, I prayed, and ended with this blessing. May the God of hope fill you 
with all joy and peace in believing. And may you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Three days later, I was in the hospital again with the Gideons for a service. It was a Sunday and I had a message to go and see him in the ward, so I did. He was being discharged home in his right mind, able to communicate, no longer suicidal, at peace with himself, and I think at peace with God. It was fair to say that the nurses were very surprised. He just wanted to say thank you, and so do I. Praise God who's faithful. Amen. Father, we thank you for the gift of this new day. We thank you for a day that we can choose to set apart for you, to enjoy your rest and seek your face. We thank you that we can enter your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and enter your courts with praise. Thank you for your faithfulness to each one of us during this challenging season. We have seen your hand on all the details of our lives, whether in big things or small. Thank you that you are sovereign God, that you reign and rule, even in this time of turbulence and uncertainty. We are sorry for those times when we have not kept you in the centre of our hearts and minds, and we ask that you would help us to fix our minds on things above. As Psalm 107 verses 28 to 31 says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Father, we ask that you would continue to give wisdom to all those researching into a vaccine for COVID-19 and that you would also give your wisdom to all those in positions of leadership in our country. We look to you to usher in a hope-filled new season in the days to come. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us to bring healing and wholeness and your shalom. We ask that you would reach out to all those who are hurting in our world and that we would play our part in sharing the love of Jesus with our friends and family and neighbours. Thank you, Lord, that we can be confident in your love and provision for us. We ask that you would continue to lead us by your spirit in and through this season into a place of flourishing and abundance, individually and as a church. Come, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>